Well, again, let me welcome all of you uh, today, and uh, thank you for uh, hanging on for one extra week this month. We're going to have to do that again next month because um, our tea room falls the first week of April. So just go ahead and, you know, set it up for the second Wednesday of um, April as well, and uh, I'll get a, an email reminder out to you. But I want to thank you for coming, and I want to thank Connie for uh, preparing our lunch today, and Ben for getting it all set up, and Florence for, uh, as always. And I want to thank our speaker, Warren Pepper, for being with us today. And uh, I asked him if he wanted an intro, and he said, no, you don't need to do that. And I think he's probably right. We probably all uh, have seen him uh, numerous times in broadcasting and read him in the paper. So join me in welcoming Warren Pepper. Thank you, Hank. Thank you. Well, it's good to be with everybody, and it's good to see so many familiar faces and also to appear in front of people after so many years in television knowing that you don't have remote controls in your hands right now. So uh, I will tell you this, and uh, I'll get into some of the, the whys and wherefores of things and uh, my 40-plus years of uh, working in media in this town and all those different things, and look forward to sharing some of that with you in a moment. But I will tell you, I was in Walmart the other day, West Ashley, it's been about three, four weeks now, and I can feel this woman, I don't want to say she was stalking, but she was definitely walking everywhere I walked. And I'd go to one aisle and she'd be right over my shoulder, and so after a few moments, I kind of turn around and acknowledge her and, and nod to her, and she says, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure, sure. She said, um... I'm having the toughest time. She said, didn't you used to be somebody? <laughs> and there's no great answer to that question. <laughs> but it was just a different way than I've ever had of somebody trying to remember my name. And uh, bless her heart, that's all she was trying to do, but that's how it came out. And I tried to help her through it at the moment. Um, I moved to Charleston when I was 13 years old. Dad was a minister, and we had moved so many places by the time I was a teenager that when I got to Charleston, there was something about this place that made me want to kind of sink down on into the pluff mud and stay a while. Uh, I've never left. My folks left when I finished high school. They took another church in the Baltimore area. I stayed here, went to college, worked for 40-plus years, and... Uh, I'm now working at the very place I went to school. I'm at Charleston Southern University, and I'm there in university relations, and I've been there for a couple of years. But I was in television here for 31 years with one station, another five years with another, and then another five years at the Post and Courier, and every one of those stops has, uh, has had its own share of experiences, and I'll, I'll talk about some of those here with you today. I did sports most of my career, uh, early and late news, worked three to midnight for 35 years. And that's, a, that's not the best way to live and love Charleston, to work three to midnight for 35 years. But it helped my golf get 
a little better because I had my days free. And uh, then working that midnight, uh, three to midnight shift. But when I walked into work one day, after 31 years on the job, my phone rings. I'm asked to come up to HR. And I said, sure, I'll be right there. And when I walked in, there was a person from corporate saying they decided not to renew my contract and that they would be escorting me to the parking lot and I'd come back and get my stuff later. That's a, that's a tough kick in the gut. And I know a lot of you guys have probably been through some of that thing uh, in your own experiences, and I wasn't sure how to deal with it. I didn't know. If I had screwed up, it would have been easier, I think, to understand it or deal with it. But it was a business decision. I later learned the company was being positioned to be sold. It helped their bottom line if they got my salary off the payroll, da-da-da-da, whatever. You know? Go ahead, I can help you. Uh, but that created a, a real uncertainty and, and uh, sense of un, uh, not knowing what was next for me. And that happened in August of 2004. And it seems like a lifetime ago, but yet it seems still very fresh. I spent probably five or so weeks not knowing if I really wanted to be as public <laughs> as I'd been for 31 years and you know the the shades got a little dark in the uh, in the den and and I spent a lot of time just kind of sitting there wondering what was next and uh, what I would do and how I would do it and I ended up uh, with a friend of mine who I knew from the municipal golf course who had died and I decided after uh, his death I needed to go to his funeral and it was out in Saul Dam Baptist Church in rural rural Charleston County and I finally found this church on this afternoon. And I went to the gravesite. I didn't see any cars parked in the parking lot there at the church when I finally got there. But then as I got to turn around, I could see in the distance, back near the cemetery, the green tent, cars, and folks gathering around. So I went back to that graveside service. It's kind of the first time I'd been anywhere since all this had happened to me. And as the minister is delivering his eulogy to the family right in front of him, he kind of sees me to the side and does a double take, goes back to the sermon, and as soon as he finishes with the service, he walks down to me, or first he walks to the widow, shakes the hand, and then walks straight to me to shake mine. Well, in the space of about five or six minutes, there are two lines. One for the widow, and one for me. In, a, in, a, in another few minutes, the widow is now in my line. <laughs> and she gets up to me, she says, Warren, I'm so sorry, you lost your job. I said, well, <laughs> I'm sorry about your husband, Phil. I'm sorry he's gone. She said, well, he's been sick a long time, you know. <laughs> One of the ladies at the church said, Warren, would you come in and have some lunch with us? Now, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I got time at that point. And I said, well, you know, I'm just really here to pay my respects to Phil. And uh, he said, I know, but the family would like it if you'd come in, have some fried chicken, sit down. I said, okay. So I go in, and I knew I was in the right place when after 
getting a plate and sitting down with people. I didn't, I didn't know these folks, really. But a lady taps me on the shoulder, and she says, Now, don't you leave till you get some of Miss Betty's nanner pudding. Now, when she said nanner pudding, I knew that was going to be the real deal. And those folks wrapped their arms around me and brought me down and sat me down in, in, in this funeral service post-family get-together. And that kind of gave me an idea of how this community felt about me and gave me such a better feeling about things and that life would go on. I ended up working for another five years at another television station in town. And I get a call out of the blue. This is late 08. And they said, we need you to come in. We've got to talk to you about something. <laughs> I said, okay. And uh, the only reason my antenna went up, I remember thinking, well, do I need to get dressed to come in as if I'm, well, just, just come on in when you get a second. So I get in. It's the end of the Great Recession. They've lost three car dealership sponsorships, and they've got to make a financial decision. They said, it's either going to be you or three others on staff. We're going to have to let you go. Wow. I said, okay. I get home, not sure how my wife is going to react to this. <laughs> and she says, you know, I'm running out of TV stations I can watch. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I understand. And uh, she says, well, what are you going to do? I said, I, I don't know. I don't know. She said, well, here's the deal. And my wife and I have now been married uh, 41 years, but... Um, so we kind of say to each other whatever it is we feel should be said. And she says, well, you might have to go where the job is at this point. And I said, well, I understand that. And she says, well, I'm not going, but you might have to go. <laughs> all right, well, now we all know where we stand here. A week goes by after I lose that job. And at this point, when they call me in and begin to tell me, we need you to get your stuff, you can come back and get it later, I said, I've seen the movie, I kind of know how that ends. I said, uh, I'll just be on my way. A week later, the newspaper calls me and says, would you be interested in coming to work at the Post and Courier? And I said, well, I said, I, I don't pretend to know jack about that business. I've been in television all my life. And they said, well, you know, newspapers really kind of struggling. We're trying to make a more visible uh, video presence on our website, and we think you would really help in that respect. And I said, all right, well, this, that sounds like something. They initially offer me some kind of part-time opportunity, and then another few days go by, and they call me back and said, forget everything we told you last week. We kind of want you to be full-time. Is that possible? I said, well, yeah, I was all about being wanted at that point. So I go there, and I'm there five years, and I, I, uh, I write a column. I do videos on the website. I do a lot of public appearances for the paper and uh, those kind of things. Seems like it's going well. And I get called in five years after I'm there. <laughs> this was a little different because they hand me a sheet of paper, and on it it says that uh, they're going to terminate my position. I thought at first that meant they had another position for me. But no, that meant you would also be out the door. <laughs> but we still want you to write once a week if you'd be willing to. And we'll pay you something for that. 
yeah, okay, <laughs> here you go. You, you know, you cinch up your belt, you buckle, you go out, yeah, here we go. I didn't know what, this is now, uh, whatever, <laughs> 08, early 09, and I don't really know uh, what, what, which end is up, hardly. And um, I do go to work at the paper. I'm there for uh, till 2015. And I take a deep breath. And I say, well, God, maybe all the equity I've built in Charleston, maybe there's something for me with some of the businesses or some of the universities. Or, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to really, guys, I'm, you know, when you put on, here's what I've done for 35 years. I've put on makeup and read out loud. That's my, <laughs> that's my skill set. Now, I tried to do it better than others, and I tried to have fun with it. And I, but, I mean, when you boil it down, that's what I told my kids when they'd go to school. They'd say, Dad, why don't we tell people you do? You, I put on makeup, and I read out loud. That's it. Well, I'm talking one day with the uh, president at Charleston Southern University that I had made an appointment with, just kind of looking for just some ideas or maybe some opportunities that might exist, maybe that he might know about in the business community or maybe even at that school. I'd gone there four years, played basketball, and had covered the school through the years and all those different things, but I hadn't maintained an awful lot of direct contact with them other than just from a working standpoint. And we have a lunch on campus. He shakes my hand afterward and says, I wish we had something. I wish I had money in the budget for it. I'd create something for you, but I'm sorry. Thanks for coming by. I get back to my house, West Ashley, and I get a phone call from the president's secretary saying, can you come to campus tomorrow? And I said, did you just butt dial me? I was just there. <laughs> I said, it's okay. I said, it's okay if you didn't intend to call me. But, I mean, I really did just leave there a few minutes ago. And the president said, thank you very much. I got nothing. He said, when, so she says, when the president got back to his office, there was a resignation on his desk from somebody on campus. And he wants you to come out to see if you'd be interested in that job. I said, I got time. <laughs> and so I did, and I've been there for two years. Now, for a year and ten months, I was the director of the graduate school, and there were more acronyms attached to that thing than anything I had ever seen. And I was in meetings and meetings after meetings and uh, professors and deans and all this stuff that uh, was a bit of a, a learning curve. I felt like I was being force-fed by a fire hose there for a while just trying to get all this academic stuff squared away. And then two months ago, they decided to restructure the grad school, move it clear across campus under enrollment, and they asked me to move into university relations. And that's not anything I'd done before, but it wasn't anything I didn't know how to do. I know how to go out and talk to people. I know how to write press releases. I know how to write stories about different things happening on campus. So that was a much better fit both, I think, for them and for me. And eventually, I just said, Lord, you know, I feel like the good Lord's kind of been kind of, you know, come on, <laughs> I'll get you where you need to be at some point. And it took sometimes my trying not to solve it and to trust the good Lord that he would to make a lot of this happen. So that's where I am, and unless I get a call while I'm here to come see HR, <laughs> I feel like I'm okay for the moment. <laughs> but it's crazy. I talk about this from time to time when I do get to speak with folks, and uh, I call them life's curveballs, guys. I call them life's curveballs. Stuff that we don't see coming. Some of it's just life. It's just life. And it comes at you. 
And I've always felt like you're measured far more by how you react to stuff that happens to you than how you act when stuff's just kind of sailing along. We can all be Johnny Goodtime people, but how do you react? You know, I was raised in North Area. Every one of the kids I was raised around were families that were Navy Yard workers, Paper Mill, West Vaco, just blue-collar folks, and that's, that's the environment I was raised in. And, you know, if I'm at Park Circle, I, I get knocked down by a curveball. I was taught, you, you dust yourself off, you get back in, and, and here we go. That's kind of how, and I think in large measure, that's what's allowed me to kind of get through. The easiest thing for me to have done was to leave Charleston. <laughs> you could go somewhere else and start something new and nobody else is stalking you in Walmart saying, didn't you used to be somebody? <laughs> so it would have been a little easier to go that route. But I, you know, I love this place. I love this community. Now, it isn't what necessarily it was as I grew up and as, as I was professionally involved through the years. It's changed in so many ways right now. And uh, the traffic sometimes can kind of get next to you a little bit. But it's very different than sometimes what it was. But even with its warts, it's still a very, very special place to live and raise a family. And all my kids still live here at the moment. Now, I've got a millennial daughter who lives with me, which... I didn't see come until about four months ago, and that's increased the grocery bill and all those things that go with it. But, you know, I told her to come on back. Uh, she was having problems getting squared away, and just couldn't seem to make... I said, well, come on back, get, get a little heads up, a little, little footing, uh, maybe a little financial stability. So I buy her a car, like, last November, and last Tuesday night, she totals it. So I told my wife the other day that... Stuff is happening now at times with me that I feel like my sole purpose on life is to make other people feel better about theirs. <laughs> because stuff comes at you sometimes and you say, you know, what's, is that, is that, what, what's next? You know, is that all you got? Come on. And uh, I get a call from a minister uh, after job loss number one. And he says, I hope it's okay with you that last Sunday... I used you as the primary example and illustration in my Sunday morning sermon. I said, really? I said, well, what was the topic? And I said, why didn't you call me the week before you did it to see if it was okay? <laughs> he says, no, I just, you know, I was writing about, a, he says, I'm doing a, a sermon on why bad things happen to good people, and, and your name just kind of came to the top of my head, and I thought the folks would really, you know, we're, we were dealing with uh, Job, and uh, all that he went through in the Bible, and he just, I just felt like that would be a great way for me to connect to my congregation. And I said, well, thank you, and uh, nice to be remembered, you know. <laughs> and, and I said, Job had it pretty tough, though. I said, you know, I hadn't lost any cattle, uh, no, no boils on my body, and, uh, you know, all, the, all my relatives are mostly living and stuff. He says, well, I know, but for the sake of illustration purposes, it, it worked for me. I said, well, I'm, I feel for you. I'm happy for you. So it's funny how all that stuff kind of just comes full, full circle with me. For reasons I still don't even understand, my mom's still living. My dad died about seven years ago. There is a scripture in Proverbs that continues to just bubble up to me every time I feel like I'm not really sure what the next move ought to be. 
And it's in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, and it very simply says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. My mom used to always say that was her favorite scripture, and I didn't really pay much attention, but it very clearly stayed with me. And it wasn't until a lot of this stuff started happening to me and around me and with me that, that those two verses became such a sense of comfort and an understanding that it doesn't always have to be on you. I heard someone say that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And there was a period of time where people kept saying, don't worry, other opportunities are going to come. And I said, well, if one more person tells me when that window opens, I said, I'm pushing them through that window, you know. <laughs> but I did hear that, you know, they say, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I've always looked at that a little differently. And I certainly understand it better now than maybe the clarity I had once upon. I don't think he gives you more than he can handle. And that's kind of how I... It doesn't have to be about me and whether or not I can get through it. If I believe he can, it makes it a little bit easier. So that's just a, a bit more about me than you cared to know or understand. But I felt like when Hank asked me to speak that this might be the perfect time to share some of those stories with you. And I hope that when you saw the advertisement and it talked about all the years I'd been in sports and all the various places I'd been and all the different things I'd had the occasion to witness and, and, and the various people I'd worked with through the years, that you wouldn't be disappointed if I delivered this, <laughs> this part about me today that you might not have known that much about. Uh, I still continue to write for the paper, and I look forward to, to kind of finding those stories and, and those observations about things that make what uh, living in this part of the world is so special to us about. When they initially asked me to do it, I said, guys, you know, I'm not a crusader. I'm not a guy that's going to get on there. I'm not political. They said, well, we got people that can write about that. I said, but I know Charleston. Charleston knows me. I said, I can write about those common experiences maybe. And they said, well, that's what we need. We need somebody that connects us. So that's what I still enjoy doing that part. Uh, I knew what my voice was from a broadcasting standpoint. I knew how people reacted to me. I knew how to communicate through that television camera. I wasn't sure I could be as effective a communicator in the written word. That's a very different form of communication. You can speak with a raised eyebrow or an inflection in the voice. You're not always sure if that translates in an effort to make it a conversational uh, piece. But that's an ongoing uh, challenge, and, and I kind of welcome it and try to look for different and various ways to, to make those contacts. I want to thank you guys for being with me. I promised I'd get you out on time. I like to respect people's time as much as they respect me, except when they're following me around in Walmart. So... <laughs> Uh, thank you for letting me be with you today. I really enjoyed being in your company. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Warren, thank you for your giving us the other side. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't know if this is on, but I'm just going to talk loudly. But um, 
That's not what I was expecting you to talk about. <laughs> but boy, what a, what a great scripture passage to just be able to go back to and, and hang on to. And especially that thing you said about he's not going to give me more than he can handle. Uh, I think that may be my new way of looking at that that passage and maybe for some of the rest of us too. Um, if you think about what God can handle, the sky's the limit, isn't it? Is there anything he can't handle? So thanks for broadening uh, our perspective on all that. Um, I had put on your tables for the St. Philip's men, something that looks like that. And if you are a St. Philippian, if you'd get one of these, and you can throw it in the trash on the way out, or you can take it home and fill it out and follow up on it, but it's to invite you to volunteer for the tea room that's coming up. And um, we'll have that publicized uh, to everybody downtown and hope that all of you who are downtown during that time will come by and eat with us, enjoy uh, fellowship and food like this. And then next month, uh, on the second Wednesday, we'll gather here again. And then I promise you we'll go back to the first Wednesday after that. But um, thank you for being here. And I'd like to close us with a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking a word to us today that probably we weren't expecting to hear. In fact, more than one. You've given us gold today in your word and in Warren Pepper's life. In the witness of going through some experiences that were compared to Job's and in hearing that humor is still there and gratitude is still there and actually I guess a sense of I wonder what's next Lord what you have next for me and I pray that, that that spirit that Warren has been given to share with us, that we will each get a portion of that today and that we'll take it back to work and take it home and be reminded that there's really nothing you can't handle and that if we will look to you and not try to figure it out for ourselves, that we'll have less stress, we'll have more peace, and we'll also see what you have been trying to get us to see all along, and that is that you love us and that you're working on our behalf. So thank you for that reminder today. And Lord, as we go into, as we're in Lent and as we're approaching that amazing day of Good Friday and then the more amazing day of Easter, um, thank you for reminding us through that, that
through those trials, through those times that seem like death, you always have resurrection on the other side. In Jesus' name, amen.